ทัสสะบาวะทูอะระหะตูสัมมาสัมบุตตัสสะนะโมทัสสะบาวะทูอะระหะตูสัมมาสัมบุตตัสสะนะโมทัสสะบาวะทูอะระหะตูสัมมาสัมบุตตัสสะปุตตังดัมมังสังขังนามัสามิ So this morning, Vinny from the support team approached me and asked, on behalf of a friend, if some of the sangha member, if I knew which of the monastic sangha member would like to talk to that friend about the arupa jhanas, the say formless absorptions, yeah. And um, well, this is not my reality, so I'm sorry I can't talk about this <laughs> tonight. <laughs> But if uh, someone is of the sangha members interested, um, yeah, feel free to uh, approach Winnie. For me, what I find um, very pleasing about the forest sangha is. The fact that we speak from our own reality, our experience, and so we can really come up with things which are appropriate for the time and place, and which really um, resonates with us. So for me, at the moment, my reality, my truth is that of dukkha. So I'm holding up the. Uh, Theravada flag, <laughs> dukkha, suffering, misery. Because, <laughs> uh, um, yeah, for this winter retreat and even for longer time, I'm really struggling with my tummy. Uh, I'm having a lot of pain, discomfort, and um, also along with that goes, uh, say. Little energy at times, fatigue. So and um, yeah, I like to use that as my uh, apparent reality at the moment to share a little bit about this, and also then maybe see how we can approach that and how to uh, deal with that. Because um, yeah, looking at. Um, One thing of the the, the dukkha flag that is always very often and easily overlooked. There's also the end of suffering, the sukha. You know, this the third noble truth, which is also uh, part of reality. Yeah, and we we can get there as well. So it's not all misery. It's not all hardship and and struggling. For me personally. What I find uh, very important is, especially right now, is like this having the right attitude, uh, uh, so as how to approach, say, my, my difficulties, and this is very much like a attitude of gratitude. Or during the family camp, there is even a song we sing. Gratitude's the attitude, yeah. So I'm not going to sing it now, but now that I speak about it, I like to use this platform I'm sitting on um, as a platform to also to 
bring up the family events again, and I like to encourage all of you over here, you know, to join family events. It's um, sukkah. <laughs> it's fun, yeah. And uh, but also for the visitors who are here, please come and, and join us for the family events. I'm gonna start soonish already in May, June, and then the family camp in August, yeah. So gratitude's the attitude. For me, that is a very important, like the attitude of, yeah, counting my blessings as well. And just to see that how well supported I am, how much gratitude I'm, I'm having for being here and being in that privileged position of, wow, unbelievable great, you know, having the chance to uh, spend the winter retreat here, having this really um, such a privileged time um, to be able to practice, you know, having the supports around, having people around me who support me with my struggles, people who help in the kitchen with um, preparing special food for me, my brothers and the Sangha who look after me uh, and um, who care for me. There's a lot of uh, TLC as well. Uh, but then also having the chance to get the support I need in a more external way, you know, getting some help there as well. So that all makes me feel really, really good about my whole experience and, you know, which is kind of um, uplifting as well. And another one is the attitude of metta, of kindness for myself. I think that's very important when we speak about metta, when we hear about metta, when we reflect about it, also to be with us. You know, we can have metta for all beings in all directions, uh, but it's also very, very important that we include ourselves as well. And then having this kindness, this acceptance as well for our joys, for our sufferings, uh, which again softens the heart, opens us up and makes us more accepting of the way things are. And that gives us then the chance also to look more directly at the first noble truth, which is the noble truth of suffering. And the Buddha said, he uh, encouraged us when we do that also to embrace that suffering, to really look at suffering and understand it. And so having like those, say, qualities of heart, of gratitude, having kindness, that helps enormously to... Um, yeah, take on the first noble truth and um, wholeheartedly accept it, fully accept it and embrace it. So then we can see really, yes, there is stress, struggle in my life and that can be taken on board. But then there's also more to it.
So what comes to my mind now, speaking about this, is the Buddhist teaching about the error or the dart. Sometimes it's called the, the teaching of the, the second error, and probably most of you heard about this before. In this particular teaching, the Buddha talks about, say, an experienced person, an experienced practitioner, and an inexperienced person or an ordinary person. And he says, those beings, they receive three kinds of feelings. They experience pleasant, painful, as well as neutral feelings. Yeah? But he also goes further and he says, well, the inexperienced person experiences when there is physical pain, experience two kinds of feeling, which is a physical feeling as well as a mental feeling. Where else the experienced practitioner in regards of uh, physical difficulties experience only one feeling, and that is only that physical feeling. So, and then he gives the example of being a person being uh, hit by an error or a dart. And he says, like the ordinary person experienced the physical pain as well as the second error coming in then, which is the mental pain. Whereas the experienced practitioner, there's only one dart, there's only physical pain. So, and um, he was saying this also has a cause because the ordinary person, when he, for instance, experiences a physical pain, normally goes into the mode, an unreflected mode, an unmindful mode of getting away from this, running, trying to run away from it, reject it. And that triggers the underlying tendency of aversion. So this is why the ordinary person feels aversion, feels hatred, feels distress, regard of that. But there's also the case where that person, where that being, because there's only the sensuality, it's only sensual pleasures that can give him a, a freedom from that particular pain. So that person then goes out of an unreflected habit, goes and seeks for sensual pleasures. And because that being the case, that gives rise to the underlying tendency of greed. So therefore, that experience of that person the, is greedy, is a one of wanting to experience pleasures induced by the senses, because there is no other, say, sense of well-being for that person at the time being. And also, because that person doesn't really know how those things come to be, doesn't know the arising, the passing away, doesn't know 
the gratification, the drawback and the release of those feelings and therefore the underlying tendency of delusion gets triggered in regards to, say, a neutral feeling. So this is then, for instance, when, um, say, uh, a worry comes into play, yeah, one starts to worry about one's illness, one's disease, and so on and so forth. So now, the ordinary person, this is the experience an ordinary person has, but there's also that one of the experienced practitioner, which has only that of the physical pain, but there's no second error coming into play. So there is no, if it's difficult, there's no rejection, and there's also no seeking for a way out, other than just being with that pain. And there's also not that um, inexperienced delusion in regards to that neutral feelings, yeah. So now the good news is, we can also be that, you know, we, we can also be um, experienced practitioners <laughs> by simply, by inducing mindfulness, bringing mindfulness into the game. So when we see there is an pain, there's discomfort, there's struggle, and that can be physical, but it doesn't have to be necessarily. I think it's fair enough also to say, in regards to that, uh, it can also be mental pain. You know, there can be, say, um, internal struggling. There can be, especially most of us here at the moment, uh, we are spending the winter retreat here together for an amount of time. And it's very normal that in during the winter retreat, you know, we might feel states of loneliness, boredom, you know, maybe feeling rejected, not looked after, neglected, alone, or there might be stages of, you know, feeling absolutely hopeless, feeling elated, feeling even um, Uh, say, restless and agitated, yeah? But um, this can all be, as long as it's, say, like a primary emotion, but we don't have to go and let the second hit the second arrow. We don't have to go in this direction. So we can be, by bringing mindfulness, by bringing sense restraint into the game, we can be with that pain, that internal, that external pain, and just be with it, other than just seeking out, going in the direction of looking for a distraction, looking for something else, or going in this other direction. Normally that's the case then, of you know, trying to get rid of it, trying to run away. So it's basically like those two things happening most of the time for us is this fluctuation, yeah, wanting or running away. Now, how do we, say, tackle states of uh, discomfort, mental discomfort, 
physical discomfort. A very safe approach is that of, first of all, coming to our crowns, coming to our bases, touching ground, and this is the body. So trying, even amongst difficulty, trying to establish a body awareness, trying to establish a, a whole body awareness, being embodied, being with the body, and using the practice of sati sampajanya, embodied awareness, knowing awareness. And by doing this, we can be more aware of what's going on in this physical sense, yeah? What's going on all the time is also our breathing. So tuning into the breathing is quite a skillful thing to do when things are going tough. And there's also helpful to find ways of breathing in a way which are conducive, you know, to awareness, to sense of well-being. And there's uh, different ways of doing that, being with the body, being with the breath. For instance, we can try what I do quite a bit then, when I'm not feeling so well. I try to develop like deep belly breath and just really breathing in deep and letting the breath kind of um, fill out my, my whole belly and my um, capacity, my lungs and so on, but in a, in a very deep and gentle way. It's even um, helpful, say, in my own experience to make like a, uh, like a subtle noise with that, you know, like drawing the breath in in a, in a very way when we sort of close our throat and then um, makes the breath even longer and makes the breath more smooth and more comfortable. So it's like... Can you hear it? <laughs> Good. <laughs> it's not the sound of silence. It's, a, it's another breath, yeah. <laughs> Or oh, it's another sound, which is, for me, quite helpful. So with that, making the breath just very long, very comfortable, and make then the body easeful. There's even some of my friends here uh, developed different breath during this winter retreat as well. One of my friends, he can do the Darth Vader, breathing. <laughs> don't know exactly how to do it. I think you're going to do like <laughs> not too sure. He's an expert on it. And another friend of mine he developed another breath from the Star Wars uh, saga. Um, don't know this character. It sounds something like tobacco or so. And he developed this breathing. So whatever it is, I think it's as long as it's conducive to calm, to peace, yeah, might as well go for it. But see, this is what we do for the winter retreat here. <laughs> well, that's only part of our reality. <laughs> whatever does the trick is so important, yeah. 
So by using those different breaths, we can just become more and more aware of the body, of our reality, which is then a part of what we are. And by doing this, we can also calm down more and more easy, become more and more engaged with body and mind. What I find quite helpful is then, especially when doing deep belly breath, it also calms the nervous system. So, which is very helpful because then as one experiences difficult physical states, it's also normally the case that the mind goes a bit wonky as well. And say, for most of us, um, that's normal because body and mind are very, very closely linked together. You know, say for the experienced practitioner, that person can say, well, there's only this body and mind is a different thing. But I think that's not so much the reality for most of us. So therefore, we also have to look what is working for us, yeah? And if it's the Darth Vader breath, then it's good, that's fair enough. That's a, a very good thing to do. Calming the nervous system. Especially when we do calm the nervous system to deep belly breath, we also, we sort of um, look at the uh, vagus nerve and we sort of bring the vagus nerve more and more um, down and we go more easily into a rest and digest mode instead of going into a fight or flight mode, which can be very easily triggered when there is some physical uh, discomfort, when there is some mental discomfort, even more so the case. So, and by using the breath, there's actually, that's the bridge in between the body and the mind. So therefore, it is very, very helpful to have a tool at hand which lets us directly focus on body and mind. So using the breathing in a skillful way, making the breath comfortable, making it deep, making it easeful. And that basically, when we can learn how to do this in a gentle, relaxed, manner that leads us straight away to say the third stage of what the Buddha called Anapanasati, the, um, his explanation on mindfulness of breathing. There the Buddha described how we can breathe in by focusing on the whole body. So focusing on the whole body from bottom to top it's also focusing on the whole breathing. And when we do this, it's also not that difficult if we learn how to breathe in an easeful way, how to make use of the breathing in a skillful way to calm that breathing. Breathing in a gentle way and then very easily in a way normally we also come to the place then where the breathing becomes say, karma, which is already the fourth step of this explanation of mindfulness of breathing, yeah? By breathing in and breathing out, we calm 
the breath. And it's just a matter of learning how to breathe in a comfortable way. When we do this, we can be with the breath and enjoy it. And I think this is a very important thing to do, getting joy out of this. Just the, yesterday, we had a young visitor here with his mom. And his mom was Thai, and the young boy was supposed to become a mini-monk in the next summer break. So his mom, being Thai, wants him to be a novice monk, a mini-monk, for some time in the school holidays to come. And I could sense it was not exactly his idea of having fun, how to spend his summer holidays <laughs> being in a monastery and doing monk's business, doing monk stuff. So I explained to him, actually, you can make fun out of it, you know, because he was, I would say, maybe nine years old and he loved video games. So I say, like, I, I told him, like, even um, when we come to the monastery, you can also be, like, in a video game, like, imagine you, you are Super Mario, yeah, or um, Temple Run, Subway Surfers, when you are aware, when you practice mindfulness and awareness, you can be like that little uh, superhero running through the video game and instead of, say, jumping on mushrooms and collecting coins and feathers and then fly off into the air or jumping over collapsing bridges and um, dodge um, trams and, and subways, you can also be in the present moment and do the same, being a monk, a nun, or whatever you want to be. You don't have to be a monk or a nun or an anagarika for this. Anyone can do that, yeah? Even if you're a mini monk. And his sister, she was wearing a mini mouse t-shirt. I found it quite funny, yeah? <laughs> so, and this is really, this can also be part of our reality, say, when we're practicing mindfulness of the body, when we are aware of the body, when we are in the zone, so to speak, you know, we can be like a little superhero walking around and being, it feels, at least to me, like I'm in control. I know what the body does and I feel like a superhero then, like a little superhero, like a little mini monk superhero. And I can be just that. I don't have to uh, fight with the uh, monsters, but I can be in my space, and that gives me a lot of well-being. And I know practicing embodied awareness, it feels good to me. So see, when we do that. We can do it while we're breathing, while we're walking. We can do it to many activities to the day, you know, whether we are in the kitchen, whether we are doing something else, whether we are in our rooms. And for me, especially like the walking is such a perfect expression of being in the zone, yeah, 
really enjoying one's steps, each individual step. And when I walk, I, I do enjoy my steps normally, and which is great. It's a great way of just being here because there's so much walking that we do throughout the day, which we are do mindlessly and not mindfully. So coming back to the breathing, enjoying each individual step, it's easy, it's natural, it's so normal. We do it like we do the breathing day after day. But a lot of time we just miss out on so many precious and beautiful practice activities. And I remember even when I was a kid, maybe around that boy's age, my mom always told me like, oh, you're walking like a queen, you walk very flamboyant. <laughs> I said, well, yeah, wasn't aware of it. And, um, and, but now I enjoy my walking, and especially when I'm, say, on my, my walking path, sometimes I feel like a queen <laughs> or like being on the catwalk, yeah. So, but it feels good. And for me, again, whatever does the trick, um, that is very important. So when we do this, when we are, say, engaged in our practice, being with the body, being with the breathing, and learning how to tune into that, how to tune into our physical reality, how to tune into the breathing more and more, and learning how to breathe in such a way that we can enjoy it, we directly zoom off like a superhero to the next step in the Buddha's explanation of mindfulness of breathing, when he spoke about the next steps, he said, breathing in and breathing out, we can experience joy. Breathing in and breathing out, we can experience happiness. And this is actually, it's a very important step. Again, especially for us here being on winter retreat, full-time, part-time, whatever it is. But it's also a time of letting go, a time of renunciation. So we are deliberately uh, letting go of, say, sense pleasures to a large extent. And this is then, because there's not so much happening, and it might happen to some of you who come in here and join for a particular time of the winter or even for some of the nuns and the monks after a few years realizing, oh, <laughs> that's it, wow, where do I get the joy from? Especially when things are going tough, when there is physical discomfort, when there is physical or mental challenge. So therefore it's so easy that we find a source of happiness and this one by breathing in, breathing out, experiencing joy and happiness. It is not that difficult to get there. So we can always, by learning how to breathe, by learning how to walk, by learning how to be naturally engaged in the here and now, we can tap into this reality this beautiful reality of joy and happiness more and more easy. And then 
also gaining a lot of well-being out of that, gaining strength out of that. And the reason also why the Buddha praised this particular joy and this particular happiness is because it is a non-sensual joy. It's a non-sensual happiness. So it's not derived from, say, the external senses, but it's actually, it's coming from within. It's fabricated in our heart, fabricated in our mind. And the Buddha encouraged us actually to cultivate those along the way as we go. He actually, he said, we should attach to those because these are positive attachments. They are worthy of cultivating, worthy of developing and bringing really to um, um, fruition, uh, so to speak. Now when we have the opportunity and become more and more skilled in tapping into those, or I shouldn't even say tapping into this, but rather than just allowing those beautiful states of joy and happiness to arise, they are the direct preliminary step of the next one in the Buddha's explanations of mindfulness of breathing, which is experiencing the mental conditioners, the citta sankaras, and these are uh, the perceptions, sanya, as well as sensations, um, vedana, and these are very important as we go along, especially as they are really um, they let us experience our reality. This is how, due to those, due to Zanya and Vedana, we take in our realities, our inner reality as well as our external reality. And so, by doing that, by looking at, say, the Sanya, the perceptions, or cognitions, we then give things a label and um, we memorize, we, we tap into, we, um, how to say, uh, we memorize things which happened to us before and that brings up then this particular perception, say for instance, we experience um, uh, a painful feeling talking about those things tonight in while sitting here in our knee and because we've been sitting already for quite a while now and we can make an association we know okay you know I've been there before probably had it last night maybe had it uh, a few days before had it earlier on it comes due to sitting and we know, so that gives us also a way of functioning. Basically, we're putting it into a drawer and we can access it very easily. 
say when we experience a headache and we can then open that drawer and make an assessment. Okay, well, this is maybe because last night there was sauna. That was the reality for uh, the bhikkhu, for the male sangha. And we might get a bit of uh, dehydration there, so therefore there is a headache here now. Right, um, we can deal with that. I can deal with that. And um, we don't have to go further, but if we know, okay, sometimes might have a, a tendency to get migraines, and that might be worthwhile then taking active countermeasures by using painkillers or, again, whatever does the trick for us, whatever works. So this is um, called the, the sanya, yeah? And the vedana, this is again what's been talked about earlier on. This is basically can be divided into those three, into the pleasant, the unpleasant, and the neutral. Or later on, when the Buddha made the distinctions in between the physical as well as the mental. And there it comes in very, very handy when we become, we become more and more adept in, say, the art of mindfulness and the skill of mindfulness of breathing when we experience the whole body awareness, when we experience that joy and that pleasure, that happiness that opens up a new realm of the body, we can use the body more and more as a vessel, as a container or as our temple in which we then can experience those feelings, those sensations, those vedana. And again, with, say, physical feelings, it's kind of easy. Most of us, we, we know, we sort of, to some extent, in, in tune, in touch with our body. And we, we feel, all right, there's a physical feeling now. Oh, yeah, there's some hunger here. Yeah, I haven't eaten for 20 hours. Maybe I should go and have some breakfast, yeah? So the body tells us we are practitioners of mindfulness. So we know, same with, say, pleasant feelings, yeah? We, we experience them. For some people, it's even the case that they only experience the body over those, say, extreme feelings of pleasure and pain. But we can do better. We can also experience say, neutral feelings, and they're not quite so obvious, but they are there, and they actually they make most of our reality. So, uh, experiencing them, having this temple, this container, this body of our body as we practice. And we're doing this, then we can also become more and more aware of our mental feelings. That was a lot of time, is it the second error, yeah, which is described in that particular teaching on the Dart as the second error. And this is actually the beauty what mindfulness of breathing enables us to do by becoming more and more aware of the body and 
establishing a firm body awareness, we can train ourselves to see those feelings more and more in a better way. And normally those, say, mental feelings, they are also there in every given moment when there are experiences, sense experiences, when there is contact, when our khandhas, when they are engaged, there's also feelings there. Again, most of the time they are neutral, nothing special happening, we don't notice so much. But by being aware, we can also then see what's that feeling doing now, especially those mental feelings. I call them like the psychosomatic feelings, so, and they are easily or mostly happening in our torso, in our heads, feelings, say, of wanting to get away from it when there is a, an impetus. So how does that feeling, this mental feeling of wanting to get away from it manifest? We can have a look. Might be in our gut, might be a tension in our chest, in the heart area, in the soda plexus. It might be in our head, but there also might be other feelings available at any given time. There might be, you know, for yourself, mental feelings of well-being, of joy again. And we can see for ourselves, train ourselves to see them by being aware more and more easily, experiencing them in the body. The reason why the Buddha talked about this step was because those citta-sankara, what he called the mental conditioners, their direct precursor of our mind, of our inner experience, of our thinking. So by being aware of them, we can be more and more aware of our thinking as well. And by that we can also then nip some of our unreflected habits, thoughts, moods, emotions, nip them in the bud straight away by being in touch with our sanya, with our vedanas. So, and this is a very good thing to do, especially when we, say, experience difficulties, hardships. The mind, of course, can go pretty wild. And by feeling, okay, there's a feeling, and that feeling is actually, that's the direct condition for my mind to be that way, that is already a very good insight, and it's very liberating. When we talk about the mind, when we talk about our inner experience, the experience of the heart-mind, then there's also very important to mention that, well, there's a lot of thinking going on normally, there's a lot of emotions, a lot of moods going on, and there the Buddha recommended us to be aware of them, using again, using mindfulness, using clear 
knowing, clear awareness, and also experiencing those things which are going on more and more internally. So moving from the external, moving from the body, over the breathing into our heart, into our mind, and whatever arises there, we can be in touch with that more and more easily due to the practice of breathing, mindfulness of breathing. Ajahn Amaro mentions over and over again in his teachings, because we think it, we don't have to believe in it. And this is really the core of what I feel of that teaching of mindfulness of the mind. Because, yeah, there is maybe thinking going on, but we can be aware of it. We can be in the driver's seat. We can be disengaged from that. Or we can be even, like in the video game, we can be the one on the controllers, on the PlayStation. Yeah, We have the controls in our hand, and we can make that little Super Mario run, jump, and doing somersaults, and doing all kinds of things. But we don't have to actually become our inner experience as such. We don't have to grasp it. We don't have to hold on to it. We don't have to identify with it. We don't have to be it. We don't have to attach to it. Just today, we had the monastic community, we had our observance day. And after that, uh, just before the meal, I went in my room and I fixed my backpack. And um, I used super glue. And time was short, but I was in, a, in, in the groove. I wanted to fix my backpack. So and I applied super glue and I pressed it on. And I wanted to take my finger off, and I realized, oh, <laughs> me stuck to me backpack. <laughs> oh, it's time for the meal. <laughs> so, and I thought, thinking, <laughs> maybe I should now <laughs> take my backpack in, into the sala <laughs> with me, but not on my back, <laughs> but on my... <laughs> on my hand and carry it in <laughs> and then get my food in my bowl and go back. That would have been fun, yeah? So I was, I was attached to my backpack. <laughs> Luckily, I could manage to, um, yeah, to, uh, yeah, let go of that experience. <laughs> Still have super glue on my finger. But this is, again, this is the experience of, yeah, right, you know, there is thinking. There is an emotion. There is a particular mood, a particular mood swing even. But we can be aware of that, but we can be open about it. We don't have to use the Loctite. We don't have to use the superglue. We don't have to stick with it, identify with it, but... Let it just happening as we go. So 
And then, yeah, we, we can take it with us wherever we go and be mindful, being aware of that. And this is um, the experience of that, using our wisdom capacities, using our discrimination, our uh, discernment, and bring just Lung Po Cha's simple phrase into play. It's, it's not sure, you know, whatever comes up into this body, into this mind. It's just what it is. It is not sure. And that enables us to let go gradually more and more, become more and more skilled. And as we become more and more skilled with our breathing, with being aware of our, say, feelings, our sensations in the body. Now, having said all that, ways of dealing with difficulties, a lot of time just doesn't work like this. A lot of time, at least for me, wow, it's just painful and I'm just feeling like a vegetable. So, you know, there's not much I can do, let alone breathing, let alone mindful breathing or even uh, using a um, wise reflection. I just feel like flustered. I'm a, yeah, I'm a, I'm a veg and what I can do is a lot of times just, yeah, then lie down in bed, maybe breathing in, breathing out through my legs, which makes my experience a bit more pleasant because again that uh, makes the breath kind of long, smooth and easy to be with but a lot of time it doesn't work. So uh, then what's asked for then is different qualities and one is very important is the quality, the hard quality of patient by patiently being with whatever there is and just normally patience has to come into play when things are not going right, when it's an uphill struggle. We don't have to be so patient when we are cruising, when we are, you know, just on a high, when we just climb the peak and when things are going right. Normally patient is not something that is naturally then asked for. But when things are going tough, then we can rely on that quality of patience and endurance. And again, that's another flag of the, especially of the Thai forest traditions, tradition, tradition, should I say? Yeah, let's say tradition, singular thing. It is, you know, patience, being just with things the way they are. And for me, I think it also has this connotation of a non-reactivity. So instead of getting into this rut, into getting into our unreflected habits, again, we can just be with that and just stay or lie down or whatever position we are and be with that as it is at the moment. And then without 
reaching out. So this non-reactivity means to me at least, you know, not, yeah, really not sending out like the, the second arrow, not shooting the second arrow, not getting into uh, unreflected um, habit pattern. But okay, just being with it. Okay, now this is, at the moment, it's quite painful. It's quite uncomfortable. But I can be with it. And then also seeing for the higher, it's for the higher good. Because the Buddha, when he spoke about this, he said actually, and you probably most mostly aware of it, like patience, endurance is the supreme asceticism, is the supreme burner up of the mental poisons. So just by being with that, we can actually make headway a lot without maybe noticing so much. But engaging in this quality, we can get way away um, ahead. And then coming, yeah, sooner as we go along, coming to a place of, say, non-judgmental being, coming to a place of suchness and things the way they are at the moment. Okay, there is... something which I don't really ask for, which I don't really want right now, but it's just right here. And this, again, this is the first noble truth. And first noble truth is can be completely overcome by wisdom when we apply suchness to it. We see, all right, there is our life. It's part of being here, Part of that is also, apart from the joy, there's also difficulties. There is also things we don't necessarily ask for, things we don't necessarily wish for, but it's part of our experience. And we know, well, it's just like this. We know it for ourselves and our heart, and this is wisdom growing more and more, become more and more part of our reality of who and what we are. And then we can let go more easily. Letting go in the here and now and dying in the here and now. It's like Ajahn Chah, he asked, you know, his students over and over again, to die in the here and now, to let go of one's identifications, one's attachments, one's way of perceiving oneself, one's personality, one's nature, one's background, whatever there is, surrender to it, arrive at suchness, at ta-ta-ta, in the here and now, let go and die in the here and now. So uh, he encouraged us to do this over and over again, really surrender our um, personalities, 
And there was that, when he said to let go, to die in the here and now, there was at one stage uh, a monk arriving at his monastery in Thailand at Wat Nong Papong. And um, this monk was from Perth, from Australia. And Ajahn Chah asked him, did you come here to die like he used to do? And that monk goes, no mate, I arrived the other day. So I think this is also a very important quality of heart that we can develop is, you know, having a sense of humor makes life, makes pain, makes physical pain, mental pain much easier. If we don't take ourselves so seriously, if we don't take our personalities so seriously, if we can have a, a good laugh, we also have the chance to enjoy ourselves more and more. And that makes life much more pleasant to be, makes life much more pleasant to be with us, in our own personalities with conditioned personality, with its shortcomings, but also its boons and its good things, makes it much more easy. So therefore, I would like to wish you all a lot of joy, well-being, happiness, and yeah, thank you for your attention, thanks for listening, and may you be well and may experience a lot of well-being, even in the face of difficulties, in the face of hardship and make joy, make well-being, make it your refuge. Be well.